Hello, and welcome to the Sitcom Club. Joining myself, Hey Home and Cat and Co. This week is your old pal Ocho. Hello. <laughs> that was. I just knew that you were waiting for my reaction, considering what show it is we're talking about. I thought you. Were that was a rather. I could have put this. It was a rather sheepish uh, introduction from yourself there. And yet, um, I am the not kind the of one in... who should be embarrassed. You wanted to do this show. You lobbied for this for weeks. Uh, no, you suggested. It went. Yeah, all right. Well, okay, that's true, but nevertheless, I think that from now on, I think there should be some sort of safeguard put into this whole process, because we've ended up watching and reviewing Not On Your Nelly with Hilda Baker. Can I ask you a quick question? What year is it? Uh, what, now? Yeah, <laughs> it's just sort of <laughs> blanked out everything. According to my watch, it's currently 2013. Okay. No, I just want to have a look at some old TV Timeses okay. at the same time. That I do have a point. Right, I see. Okay, well, you should be looking around at nineteen seventy-four slash seventy-five uh, for nodding your Nelly. Are you trying to find out if Hilda Baker appeared in Family Scene to show how she makes trifles or something like that? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, what are you talking you, about? No. You confused me there. I, I assumed that when you said you want to have a look at old TV Times in relation to this period in time. I assume that you wanted to see all the features about Hilda Baker, and presumably that she was appearing in things like Family Scene and Here's 20 Things You Never Knew About Nelly. Oh, those um, suitable for framing oil paintings yeah. television stars they had in about 1970. Learn to play the flamingo guitar with Hilda Baker. That might have been in there. <laughs> I've no idea. <laughs> That's what the TV Times was good at. It showed you the stars behind the curtain. But possibly, and I'm not being in any way mean here, but I'm, I'm, I am given to understand that Hilda Baker, as an artiste, was somewhat difficult to work with. That might explain why there are so many cast changes in this series, which only lasted for a couple of years and had three series, one of which was only four episodes. But there's quite a few cast changes amongst the episodes. And indeed, this series came out of her previous series, which people will be more familiar with, which was Nearest and Dearest, which ran from 1969 to 73. And that was herself opposite Jimmy Jewell, who I'm sure we'll discuss in various shows in the future, because many things. But that show was created by Vince Powell and Harry Driver. It was made by Granada Television, and it was Brother and Sister running uh, Pickle Factory. Now, at the end of that series in 73, Hilda Baker then went off to do a, a stage play called Not In Your Nelly, and then that was then made into uh, the series that we know and love. Now, Not Your Nelly in appearance is a spin-off from Nearest and Dearest, but in actual fact it isn't. Whereas Nearest and Dearest was created by Vince Pond and Harry Driver, Not Your Nelly was created by Roy Bottomley and Tom Brennan, who wrote many of the series of Nearest and Dearest, but didn't actually own the rights to the character. So Nelly Pickerskill, as she was in this, she went off to run the pub that was owned by her father, Jed Pickerskill, played by John Barrett. And for all intents and purposes, it is basically an official spin-off from Nearest and Dearest. It's a bit of a happy ever after Terry and June situation. A good comparison. So, can I ask, because I... Which I, we might actually have to explain now. 
We're just chuntering on like everybody. Yeah, yes, we are. Happy Ever After was the original Terry and June, and when the scriptwriter of that show had a bit of a falling out of the BBC, the BBC decided to carry on with the series, but they couldn't call it Happy Ever After, so they took Terry and June from that series and put them in a new series where they were effectively the same characters, but with different Different surnames surnames and no children. Yeah, and some of the other ancillary characters, of course, were gone from the new series as well, because they had to put them in a slightly different situation. So yes, the unofficial spin-off. We could probably do an entire podcast about that subject one day. But I've deliberately not asked you what you thought of Notting Nelly until we've hit the button recording this podcast, because I wanted to keep it all fresh. So, on a scale of one to ecstatically happy, how much did you enjoy <laughs> Notting Your Nelly? It was interesting. I do not regret the experience. (laughs) That's about as much as I can say. Well, thanks very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be back next week. (laughs) I did take notes. There are things within that we can discuss. Can I throw out a suggestion? I've seen episodes of this show by choice. One particular situation I will relate in detail later on. But I would say that not necessarily in a bad way, this show is unremittingly grim. Is that a fair assessment? It doesn't necessarily mean to say I don't want to watch it, but... It's an interesting kind of grim, though. It's a nostalgic kind of grim. If that makes any sense. Uh, yes, I know, I know what you mean. I mean, let me explain a little bit about what I mean by that. Because I'm not just talking about the characters or the setup. We should explain a little bit about the detail of it. It's mid-1970s, and there's a little bit of a sort of culture clash with... Hilda Baker's character being from the north, and then she comes down to Chelsea to run this pub. So you've got a little bit of that going on. You've got a series of, let's be honest about it, stereotypical characters in the pub who appear each week. And otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's a straightforward sitcom with your collective each and every week. And you have outsiders come in. Richard Wilson was on one episode. Tim Barrett appeared in one episode and so on. Uh, This episode that we principally are talking about today had a a guest in it as well. So from that point of view, it's all sort of fairly standard. But what gives it its sort of added edge is the fact that, again, I don't want to be mean at all, but Hilda Baker by this point wasn't really at the top of her game. And as I understand it, she was relying a good deal on cue cards and other devices to deliver her lines. Uh, You can actually see in some of the episodes, when she's got a relatively brief monologue, you can see maybe three, four cutaways to the extras (laughs) in the pub. Uh, In my notes, I have haughty edits. Yeah, yes. Now, okay, I'm going to throw over to yourself. You need to explain because what everything that I say needs explanation. <laughs> I can't remember what show it was. Roy Hood. It was an afternoon show. It was uh, Movie Memories, was it? Yeah, so it's just a very nostalgic show where he'd bring in stars of yesteryear. I, that sounds kind of wrong. Stars of yesteryear who are still alive, I suppose. It's like looks familiar, but with less budget in a way. And there was one where he brings on Charles Hawtrey shows a clip, I think, of Charles Hawtrey with Will Hay. It's on YouTube, ladies and gentlemen. And just count the edits. Count the strange cutaways. Count the ways it appears that Charles is not answering the question that was asked. And they've just kind of tried to rescue it in the edit. (laughs) Charles was having an off day. If I I remember correctly, the first edit is actually before he has appeared. 
uh, Roy Hudson says, I know you're going to know you're going to give him a big warm welcome, Mr. Lovely Jim and Charles Hartry. And it cuts to a scene where he's actually stood there pointing at Roy Hudd, which suggests that he probably stumbled out in the first place and looked around and said, Where the fuck is he? Oh, he's over there. There you are. I see you hiding <laughs> on this set. And we really need to get this into the language. Hawtrey edit. That was a bit of a weird cut. What? <laughs> something, the indication that something happened. Somebody dried disastrously. <laughs> um, one other thing that this actually reminded me of was, I think it was in the very good BBC Two documentary from 2006 called "The Story of Light Entertainment," and it's probably circulating online if you can if you can find it. It's well worth a, a look. And one of the episodes, Nigel Lithgow talked about player cards, right? And I think that he was at LWT at the time. And he once inquired as to why player cards, right, was taking so long to edit in comparison to other shows. And the editor said to him, well, Brucey comes out and he goes, and by the time they get to the end of edit day one, he hasn't even brought the contestants out yet. I really need to watch more Brucey. I, I never quite understood this idea that he goes. <laughs> but you're saying that's an actual thing. Or well, do you mean yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't is think that? It, are you quoting there directly, or was it just that he tends to prevaricate, gets distracted? I, I think. I think that the prevarication is then translated when it comes to um, impersonators and so on. Is it? But yes, I don't think he actually does that. Uh, and indeed, as he told Jonathan Ross, I don't talk like that. Uh, Jonathan Ross <laughs> was impersonating him in front of him. But uh, yes, I, I think it's more that he uh, will, will, will pause. Uh, and I can talk, because bloody hell, you do the edits for these shows. <laughs> you know how many times you've had to cut arms and arms and every other bloody thing out of my sentences. Christ almighty, he even had one in the jam sentence I just delivered there. Just cocked it up. Bloody hell, and I've got the nerve to criticise Hilda Baker. Well, you probably you don't now, because when I've done the edit, I will have probably edited out the erm as a matter of instinct. Well, yeah, I think probably it's worth putting a little mark on, on the, the timeline there to say, leave in ums because they're in context uh, in that instance. So anyway, uh, Hilda Baker, yes. So, um, oh, higher. No, um, Hilda Baker, so. Uh, yeah, she is doing her, I suppose you could say, shtick for this show. Oh, actually, I've just remembered the point I was making about half an hour ago, which was, yes, that this show has got a sort of uh, an aura about it, because it's sort of like, okay, Hilda's going to do her own thing, and sometimes the lines are going to take quite a long time. I think there's actually one point in the first episode where she needs to have a prompt, and it's been left in. She gets a prompt from one of the other characters because she's really? trying to. Yeah, she's trying to. She is when she's at uh, George and Gilbert's boutique and she's uh, describing a particular. I think it was like a particular coat that she had, and she's just constantly searching for this word. And eventually, the other actor just has to give it to her, and she says, "Oh yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about." Uh, <laughs> it carries on. Um, so yeah, you've got that going through the whole thing. You know that some scenes are going to take longer than probably they initially would have been planned for and everybody else just has to sort of walk around coupled with the fact that okay i mean again given what's on my dvd shelf i can't really talk but it's not it's not a hate sophistication it doesn't have a lot of witty repartee it doesn't have a great deal of wordplay apart from her constant malapropisms and it's very 
London weekend, mid-1970s. We've finished making Romany Jones now, so we've got the budget for this. It doesn't have any jokes. That's true. <laughs> no, it has got one. Oh, really? When she says to her father, put your teeth in. That's a catchphrase. I don't remember that in the episode I watched. Yeah, I think that was in there once. I'm usually distracted. I think she says that most episodes. Actually, I didn't mind her using the phrase Bossa Nova when she met Casanova. That was recognisably humorous. That was good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. But let's. Um... But then there's that bit where somebody's talking about Kung Fu and she goes, Ooh, King Poo. So you've just heard the word said. <laughs> yes. We'll come on to the Malthusisms later on. Could I ask you then, Ocho, could you set the scene for us? Could you tell us a little bit about the the individual characters themselves, apart from Nellie Picker's got herself? No, I couldn't. <laughs> oh, where <laughs> Let me try and remember. There's the um, horrible Jack the Lad character whose banter just comes off as cruel. He makes Jack <laughs> and the buses look like a nice person. There is gay character A who speaks, and gay character B, who doesn't speak. Yes. They are George and Gilbert. Is that a deliberate thing, Gilbert and George? Is that... I, I don't do you think know. there's actually I was, I was wondering that. Yes, I was wondering that. Of cleverness that. in there. If you That'd can be almost, nice. That, yeah. that, that hardly counts, does it, though? Oh, look, these two people are named after two other people. Yeah, George and Gilbert are played by David Rayner. Uh, who you've seen all manner of things around about this period of time, and also Gilbert's played by Roger Howlett. Now, Gilbert seems to be serving a specific purpose here, because Hilda Baker's stage act, which she did for many, many years, was of a lady chatting to her friend, and it was, of course, it was, it was a monologue because her friend was silent, and her friend was called Big Cynthia, and it was always played by a very tall person in contrast to Hilda Baker herself, was once played by Matthew Kelly. So she had been doing this act for years of speaking to the enormous tall mute person. And funnily enough, here's a very tall mute person in the shape of Gilbert in the sitcom who she can deliver monologues to. So I can't think that that was entirely accidental. Though I took a little bit of a look at the first episode of series one of Not On Your Nelly. I didn't get very far. And uh, he just started to remind me of Les from Vic Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't seem to know where he was. If we just pulled out some chives and held him in his face, I would have. <laughs> well, no, if you want to be, if you want to be nice, then uh, give him the spirit level, because he likes the spirit level. Yes. So, there was another character. <laughs> was, so, the, 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 the horrible person Middle Eastern was... Asian character? Or, yes, I... yeah, Ali, yeah. The, um... guy, the guy did not have enough of a personality or indeed any lines of his own that I couldn't even remember what ethnic group he belonged to. I just knew that because it wasn't white he was just going to be the butt of a joke. Yeah, I suspect not wishing to in any way slight the writers of the show, but I suspect that he was given lines based upon the fact that he was of ethnic minority origin. It didn't really matter which one as far as you know the dialogue was concerned in this. That was Ali, who was played mainly by Azad Ali. The horrible person who makes Jack look nice was Leo Dolan, played Charlie. One person who I thought was particularly good in this, and I think he keeps the show together quite well, is John Barrett, who's playing Hilda Bicker's father. Jed Bicker's girl. Smelly. Smelly from the dustbin men. The first thing in my notes is the word smelly with lots of <laughs> exclamation marks after it. Yes. 
Um, and in the episode that we focused on, Wendy Richard was playing the barmaid, but there were different barmaids in different series. Soon they Sorry, called... whose father was he supposed to be? He was supposed to be Nellie's father. <laughs> I thought he was just supposed to be a bloke that was there. <laughs> <laughs> did not pick up that relationship. He was of no relation whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was just one of the staff. <laughs> 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 he just Hilda Baker came in one day and he just thought, yeah, okay, well, you can hang around, bugger it. Oh, you you can have the pub and <laughs> tell me. <laughs> you can have it. Here's the deeds. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't paying a great deal of attention. As you can... <laughs> now that's who he is because of course she's He's about the same age as her. <laughs> well, I I was I was actually thinking <laughs> when I was watching it that had they been cast as as husband and wife, it wouldn't really have been all that different. But uh, no, I mentioned when Wendy Richard was the barmaid in this particular series. Sue Nichols, who was later, of course, in Coronation Street and Wentacles and all manner of things, she was in series three. And Jack Douglas was in series three as Nellie's cousin when a lot of people left the show. But we'll touch on series three later on. There are some unique elements to that. Now, I've described my sort of feelings towards it in terms of the order that it gives off, but... Is this a show that you can ever imagine if you had 25 spare minutes, even though it feels like a bloody sight longer, that you would choose to fill it with an episode of Nelly? I did try today, as I mentioned, watch episode one, series one, and I didn't finish it. I wasn't even necessarily appalled. I was just zoned out. (laughs) Meh, I'll do something else. I also tried to watch Series 1, Episode 1, and unfortunately I did finish it. (laughs) (laughs) I did like the entrance. I did like the entrance made by Gilbert and George. Yes, on the motorbike, yes. Yeah, they they crashed the motorbike through the wall. Yeah, that was was nicely done. There you go. Nobody needs to watch that now. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's been done. That is the joke. One thing that I do notice as a recurring theme in this show is that you do have very good character actors who are brought in to harness the plot and in many ways allow Hilda Baker to be... She's got the sort of space to do her bits on her monologues in the pub and so on. And then you get people like, for example, Roger Brierley was in the first episode or somebody like Richard Wilson or Tim Barrett or whoever it may be. Patsy Rollins is in the episode and John Sharp is in the episode that we were concentrating on this time. From Bradford. Um, indeed. Now... Would you like to give a brief synopsis? No spoilers, obviously, because people may not have seen this yet on Netflix. But would you like to give a brief synopsis of the the plot, as it were, plot in Dear italics? Netflix customer, unfortunately, <laughs> our Arrested Development rights were not as solid as we'd hoped. We have replaced Arrested Development with Not On Your Nelly. Hope does this does not spoil your enjoyment of the Netflix service. <laughs> If only Sunday was April Fool's Day, they might actually have done that for a few hours. <laughs> the plot is John Sharp turns up. He used to know her when she was not old. <laughs> they knew each other at school, and there's the chance that they might start stepping out together. Now, you you are actually overlooking one of the major 
plot twists because these days of course people have all their HBO dramas and what have you where you've got your complex characterization and all that kind of stuff. That's never really been my bag. I'm not really a drama buff. That's more sort of your area. But yeah, there there was a quite sharp character switch swerve, I suppose you could say, because initially Willie Winterbottom, as he is in this episode, is being treated as basically a potential pervert. And within just a matter of seconds I really did watch this everybody. And the fact that I can't remember much about it is not my fault. <laughs> Hilda Baker runs into the pub and said, there's some pervert been following me all the way through London. He comes into the pub. He's still following her. They're just about to And again, the there's that whole in. thing of the contrived nature of... He doesn't sort of say, oh, no, hey, it's me. Don't worry. It's like, I don't know what he's saying. I want to talk to you. Something along those lines. <laughs> yes, he's basically he's gonna he's gonna jump over the bar to try and get at her, and then finally after yes, about... that's it. He he starts killing, <laughs> hitting people. He doesn't start killing people. Sorry, I started making up a better episode in my head to cop. <laughs> and uh, it's just amazing to think that Ben Elton wrote this. <laughs> And after having seen this, you really have a new appreciation for the right way. But yeah, so here's this uh, Winterbottom fella, and he is mere seconds away from being put on the, the sex offenders register. But it's okay, because he knew Nelly in school, and therefore her attitude changes immediately towards him. That's another thing that is a factor throughout this entire series, is nothing matters. Nothing matters at all. Nothing has any consequence Anything that you say or do is just pissing in the wind. And every character can switch from one second to despising you, and you can say the most horrible, hurtful things. And then two seconds later, you're having a big old sing-song or playing the old Joanna because everybody's under the influence of strong drink. The affluence of alcohol, as I believe she would probably say. Did you by, did you by any chance notice that... <laughs> In the title sequence, there was two old blokes having a fight. <laughs> he didn't. Oh no, I have to watch a little bit of it again. Those, those opening titles were weird because they were just so sort of verite, weren't they? It was just like this genuinely just Hilda Baker in a pub serving people. It wasn't particularly staged. And the clapping was weird as well. This nice mellow theme tune plays out and then suddenly the applause kicks in. You can actually kind of see a floor manager's hand waving above him to let the audience know in your head. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you mentioned about the title sequence overall because this show is... I can't believe a... I used the word verite to describe the opening titles of Not On Your Nelly. <laughs> yeah, you got a gold star for that. <laughs> but um, no, I'm so glad you, you mentioned about the style of the title sequence because... I've previously waxed lyrical elsewhere about this particular producer and producer director, as it is in this particular case, uh, called Brian Izzard, who the met obviously many, many shows. He did a lot of On the Buses, and he's got this way about title sequences. He does these wonderful, expansive, sometimes utterly ridiculous sequences. For example, it was himself that did Take a Letter, Mr. Jones. And as, as sitcoms go, if it wasn't for that title sequence, it would just sort of be remembered as, oh, that's a ropey sitcom with John Emman. Everybody remembers that title sequence, and whether you think it's it's brilliant or god-awful or cheesy, whatever you think, you remember it. 
He also did the title sequence for the Bernard Manning quiz show Under Manning. Are you familiar with this title sequence? Can't win them all, can you? Do I do I need to describe the undermanning title sequence to people? Um, no, let's just send people to the very very fine website, TV Arc, which is at TV hyphen Arc A R K dot org dot uk. You'll see a lot of televisions, and one of them has an ITV on it. Click on that. You get the ITV regional television, and you'll see ITV South and Southeast. Go to Southern Television. Maybe maybe actually it is easier to <laughs> just describe. <laughs> Click on Southern Television, click on Programs. Somewhere in there you'll see the opening titles of Undermanning. If you don't want to know what happens in the opening title sequence to Undermanning, stop listening, mute your volume for the next three seconds. Don't come back. It's not worth it. Right, mute volume, three seconds. Here we go. It's Bernard Manning in a huge romper suit in zero gravity. Welcome back. And just to point out, if you are going to go and watch the opening titles to Undermanning, don't say we didn't warn you first. I do not want to see any complaints. I don't want to get any tweets from people saying, why did you make me see that? And also, we don't accept any responsibility for you watching any episodes of Not In Your Nelly and indeed Charles Hotry's interview on Movie Memories. So, the two blokes having a fight in the title sequence. I think it, it, it's sort of... It's... <laughs> the, image, the image in my head now can't live up to the reality. <laughs> this idea that 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 would have been great for the whole title sequence. Just two blocks having a fight in a field in slow motion. It's lovely sort of pastoral violence. It's, it must have the same theme music. The theme music oh, is yes. very jaunty. Yeah. It has to, it's just... So you you talk about that because I'm just going to take another look at those opening titles while you okay. do that because I want to see this. Well, this actually reminded me of, and this probably says more about my the state of my mind than than anything in relation to the sequence itself, is that there is a little skit in one of the early uh, Vic and Bob shows on BBC, Smell of Reeves and Mortimer, which has two men in their pants with false eyes stood on plinths having a, a Oh, that doesn't count as a fight. fight. Sorry, I'm just having a look at it. That, that's two blocks having a disagreement, and I actually thought they were characters. No, it's going to spill over. It's 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 mere, it's mere seconds away from him picking up the, the chair, know, smashing over his head. It's not the actual moment. The other and one thought, then gets a glass. I, I thought those two guys were going to be characters in this. And it's no, only occurred to me now, what? looking back. Well, one of them kind of looks a little bit like Norman Rossington, if you half close your eyes. But hang on, that, that suggests a level of continuity. We've already established yes, nothing true. that happens in this show matters. Nothing at all matters. So there could be any bloody buddy. It probably, for all, for all we know, it could actually have been a legitimate argument in a pub where they just put Hilda Baker in and they just happened to film it. They might not even be actors. You know what, as well as looking, John Barrett's credit actually tells you that he's her father. I managed to, to miss that completely. <laughs> <laughs> I was just hypnotised by the 16mm waving camera, the mellow music. No, it is a joy. It is a joy. And as soon as I find out that Brian Izzard has been involved in any show, straight away I want to see what the opening titles are like, because they're always belters. And quite right too. I mean, God, there's so many plain title sequences out there. Why not have some fun, spend a bit of cash and do something outrageous? But uh, yeah, so getting back to the episode in question... So we've got this fellow now who, it turns out, knew Nelly at school. That's one of the grimmer 
aspects of this particular episode. And that was the reason I second. thought you sent it to me. Yeah, that's going to require some explanation all by itself. Well, you explain the Nelly part, and I'll come in afterwards. Okay, all right. So they go upstairs, and it turns out that he's actually now like a big shot. Like he he owns all these slack heaps and what have you. At first, I thought this was going to be going down the role of actually. It turns out that he was uh, just some waster, and he was putting it on, but it doesn't turn out like that at all. So yeah, they start to reminisce about old times, and they reminisce about how they were at school together and that then takes us to a flashback sequence if i remember correctly because even though legally not in your nelly is not a spin-off of nearest and dearest there are a lot of different ideas which are recycled from that show because of course it was principally the same writers rather than the creators now there is a sequence in the mini nearest and dearest in the 1972 all-star comedy carnival which we'll definitely touch on in a future episode for entirely different reasons, to do with a goose. But in that particular show, there was a flashback sequence involving Jimmy Jewell and Hilda Baker, and that's what this bit reminded me of. You've got the two of them, Willie Winterbottom and Nellie Pickerskill, at school being given detention. And it's all filmed like sort of sepia tone and what have you. And this is the point when you're watching this this is the point where you start to think i am so glad that there was nobody else in the room with me right now because if there was somebody else there who if you'd said to them look do you mind i'm just going to put on an episode of not in your nelly you just carry on and do something else and then this bit comes on and it's like you'd know the other person even if they weren't looking in your direction would be thinking what the fuck is this what is he watching this shit for it's like how sometimes how i feel when i've got wwe on and there's a non-wrestling fan in the room. You know you know, there's always going to be a bit in it at some point that's going to cause you the prickly heat and the intense embarrassment. So this goes on for long enough. And this reminded you, Ocho, of something entirely different. Well, you see, there is a circumstance under which you're safe. If you're watching that particular part of Not On Your Nelly and somebody walks in and they're Mexican, they're going to be fine with it. Because, and the reason I thought you sent this to me is because I introduced you to El Chavo Del Ocho which is where I take the number that I use for a name. It just translates as the kid from number eight. A monumentally popular Mexican sitcom. It's about children, and all the children are played by adults. And all the adults are played by adults as well. So you do have situations where these children are roughly the same size as their parents, in a, in a few cases. For the most part, they do tend to get slightly shorter adults. And it's quite something. Again, you look up on YouTube, Chavo is spelt C-H-A-V-O. I th- there is a wrestler of that name, I believe. Just confused some of my searches, but uh, just put Chavo Del 8 and you'll find your way around. Just type in the digit 8. So that's what I thought you'd, you'd send this to me for because of that resemblance. And actually that brings us to Arrested Development as well. There is this idea in there that all children on Mexican television are played by grown-ups. If you remember, the woman yes. he's lusting after is in a soap opera and she's trying to comfort a sick child. It's a bloke who, you know, is not unlike John Sharp to look at. <laughs> I, I think they've picked that up. Uh, the guy who created El Chavo del Ocho, who's called Chesperito, is also commemorated in The Simpsons with Bumblebee Man, which is based on his character El Chapulín Colorado, the Red Cricket, which again is similarly bizarre looking. We might do a special. 
I might get you to watch some of this stuff. You don't need to understand Spanish to get some of the benefit from it. There are there are dialogue jokes in there. It's not pure slapstick. I have to say I found the Not On Your Nelly version slightly more disturbing because didn't that sequence end with just a big close-up on John Sharp going, Aah! which reminds y- yes, me of, yes, uh, you know, that the yeah. dream centre in Look Around You. What? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> the guy has that dream. <laughs> He's running and running and can't get away. And there is a close-up of him going, Aah! dressed as a schoolboy. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a creepy guy who displays one of his own dreams, the dream that he'd had last night, and it makes for uncomfortable viewing <laughs> for the presenter and indeed the audience. I just need to just quickly. We're not even halfway through this. We're oh god, yeah, about oh, god, one yes, episode, yeah. and we're not even halfway through. <laughs> and of course, watching that is that's when I should have realised that John Barrett was playing another thing that should have been obvious to me, but wasn't. Because John Barrett comes in wearing a black wig. Yes, yes. And I can't believe I didn't pick that up. There seems to be so com- much of this that passed me. This is this is part one of our look at the first episode of the second series of Not On Your Nelly. Join us for parts two and three. <laughs> Actually, we will come back just... to part four later in the year. I just I just glanced at Audacity and realised that we'd actually been recording for 40 minutes and for what the f- <laughs> for we're not even 40 ten, minutes not even 10 minutes a commercial even. break here <laughs> um, I got distracted there for a second because I just I just looked up the Wikipedia entry to check on someone's surname and I found this line regular customers include Charlie a window cleaner whose pastimes include booze and women Yes, fantastic characterization. I mean, that, that's what you need to know, isn't it? I mean, that that he has no hidden depths. That's it. He washes windows. He drinks. And he tries to chat a woman. And he's the character. Isn't he like our identification character? The seventy six comes of all of these. They're sort of supposed to be like the only sane man. It's like, yeah, no, you're yeah, horrible. Dude, he's pre- you're he's- horrible. <laughs> Yes, he's presented as a normal one. But uh, yeah, so now we've got that dream sequence. That's over with. <laughs> and we go back and they're like, oh, they're going, oh, we used to do this and that. And then he's going to take her out for the day. Now, this is a bit of an oddity because we suddenly switch to film. This is one of those shows which is actually very traditional in as much as VT for indoors, film for outdoors. And that never changes. That remains that way all the time. I imagine... Uh, they can't go outdoors very often in this, surely. Oh, no, actually, no, they do. Then no, again, yeah, well, the way the plot is, the way this plot meanders from scene to scene that doesn't seem to follow on, I can imagine that they just end up on the moon for one episode for no good reason. What I'd imagine is that they probably <laughs> filmed the the, uh, the outdoor sequences afterwards because... They they had no idea how long the show's going to be, depending on uh, well, how the baker's delivery. Well, you say that, but generally the traditional way was you got your filming done beforehand. This is something I want to come back to, but go on. 
lay your theory. No, on. I was. Well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that is the case. But I'm just thinking that, given that they would, normally would have no idea how long Hilda Baker was going to take over any particular line in the the studio, then they probably would have looked at the end and thought, okay, we're either overrunning by an hour, or we're underrunning by 20 minutes. Let's get them into a field and have them arse around with some horses, and that will fill up the time. Or at least that's what it looked like in, in this show. It's just that bit where, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, oh look, there's a large body of water, somebody's going to fall in. But there's something about the way he falls in looks <laughs> undeliberate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then um, when they're back in the studio, does this kind of weird little non-joke, oh, I'm so glad you found a suit that suited you. He's, he somehow managed to get an identical suit to the one he was wearing. That it almost seemed like <laughs> we didn't plan for it. There's nothing in the script for him to be soaking wet, so this put two lines in. A continuity runner just... just bolted onto the set the last second and whispered to Hilda Baker, he's bone dry. Mention that he's bone dry. Yes. <laughs> so It just uh, doesn't this, look I mean, choreographed. That's, that's, that's well, it's, it's quite, it's nicely done as much as there's a hint, there's, there's a suggestion that somebody's uh, is, no, is going to fall as, as we are speaking, I'm looking at it now and it looked, to me it looks like a stumble. It's, well, there's it's, a twig in the way. It's too, there's a big, there's a big Yeah, but the, the twig doesn't look it looks weird to me. Well, we haven't even got a commercial break yet. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> there they are. I don't think that... I think, uh, am I right in thinking there's, there's no there's no cliffhanger, is there? There's nothing that, that makes you think I I have got to come back in three minutes' time uh, to see part two. So they're, they're finished arsing around outside. They're back indoors now. So, I think the, oh, hang on a minute. I think the I, idea I, I, there was I have got to come back and see if I'm actually watching this. <laughs> oh, the bit with the just, horse as well. The bit with the horse. Sorry, I'm going backwards now. If we're if we're going to start going backwards, we're never going to get to the end. There's a bit with the horse when there's there's a fart noise, no acknowledgement or reference to it. It's too quick. There's, there's no. It's just like the horse farting. It's like, yeah, leave it. <laughs> or was there a fart joke there cut out? Because it's even not on your Nelly head standards. Um, no. <laughs> I'm going to go for the former. Okay. okay. So, basically, yeah, they, they come back from the day out and so on. And they then go up to the attic because Nelly... Because. Pictures <laughs> no, because. Yeah, just, just, pictures, just because. So, yeah, so they go up to the attic because she's got some pictures of the two of them and the kids. So off they go to the attic. And she finds a picture of John Sharp as a kid, and for some reason it doesn't look anything like our flashback. I guess that flashback was just happening in somebody's head. Yes, that's a good point, isn't it? I, I'd forgotten about that. Key continuity error. It would have um, kind of somehow quite sure who... broken the reality, <laughs> the reality of the show to have the framed picture of John Sharp in a choir boy outfit, fully grown with a wig on. Do we need to... <laughs> <laughs> Looking... Shocked as the flash went off. <laughs> Do we need to note this on a postcard and send this to what would now be ITV PLC and say, just to point out that you have this uh, continuity error in this episode, could you please re-edit, re-film, do whatever you need to do so you can then reissue this on DVD because this is spoiling my enjoyment of the series overall. When you're upscaling it for Blu-ray... Why has this never been shown on ITV3, for God's sake? Bloody hell, they're showing Duty 3 again 
can I not make some space for... I mean, honestly, Grand Applause could show not in your Nelly. No, not... Oh, I've got that up. I'll say that again. In fact, you know what? I wouldn't bother. Right. Okay, so they're upstairs in the attic, and they're going through the wall bits and pieces, and so on. Uh, meanwhile, downstairs, all the regulars, including the horrible window cleaner, uh, are all talking about the fact that the two of them are now going to get married. In case you've forgotten, she's going to probably get married to that guy that they all thought was a sex offender about 20 minutes ago. So they're all now wondering, uh, where are they? And they're thinking, oh, they've probably eloped or something. Meanwhile, they're upstairs in the attic, and they find an old record player. Oh. And they play an old George Bombie song. Yes. That was your favourite bit, wasn't it? Did you even tweet me when you were watching that bit to say how much you enjoyed that bit? <laughs> it's like, oh, let's just play a record. <laughs> we haven't got any jokes for this bit. Let's have a record. And that's it. They just... Sing to each other. <laughs> well, initially, they're all kind of like miming, and then they just sing along with this George Formby record. So, do you think that's in the script? They mime to a record. If we're not underrunning too badly, it will be George Formby. If we are underrunning, it will be Inagada de Vida. <laughs> <laughs> And then in the next episode, they play the whole of Wagner's Ring Cycle. But uh, no, this actually reminded me, this sequence here reminded me of watching the Free Stooges back in the day on Channel 4. And there were sometimes, there were little bits and pieces in that where you thought, that sequence there is literally padding to get this up to the length of a two-wheeler, 20-minute film. And there's one in particular, and I think it's called All Gummed Up. It's one of the ones post-Curly with Shemp. Is um, it even with Shemp, though? As I understand it, what, what are you alluding to? You don't know about the fake Shemp. Pardon? Oh, what? Let me ask you a question, Mooncat. Do you want to keep enjoying the Three Stooges? Or are you happy for me to destroy that for you? Well, I mean, it's just going to be something horrible about Shemp that I don't want to know. It's it's going to be horrible, yeah. I think Columbia Studios was that who they were making them for. Come off the worst. Tell me the title of that one again. That one, I believe, was called All Gummed Up. Now, while you're researching that, I'll just mention that the reason that I I brought that up was, if I remember that correctly, it's a two-wheeler, twenty-minute film, and there is a plot that lasts 14 minutes. And the last six minutes of the film, apart from one comment that's just been sort of crowbarred in earlier on, it bears no relation to the earlier plot. And it also just ends. There is no actual conclusion to the film. It's just, let's do something for six minutes. We're going to eat a cake that's got bubblegum in it. And then when we hit 20 minutes, we're going to stop. And that's sort of what I was expecting with with Nelly, and to be honest, it never actually got to that point. Now you're you're beavering away there, Ocho. You're you're looking up the uh, the horrors of um, Columbia Studios because this is going to lower the tone of the, of the show. This is going to bring us all down. It'll bring you down. Everybody else already knows. So they were contracted to make a certain number of shorts for Columbia, and partway through the contract, Shemp died. But for some reason, instead of sort of saying, "Ah, oh, you're okay." They reuse footage of Shemp, and also they get a body double to keep his back to the camera and not oh. say anything. Jesus. And so there are a certain number of films which are famous for the fake Shemp. So that's how desperate the padding could get. The one you're talking about is from way before then. Right, okay. 
the real killer for this. This is Mo's brother. This is not just like the guy from work. Yeah, this guy's going to pretend to be your dead brother because we want a certain amount of product to put out. Now, do you know what? This is really, really spooky because I'm going to refer later on to the last episode of Not In Your Nelly and you wouldn't believe how many parallels there are with what you've just said there about Shemp. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh boy. And we didn't we didn't even plan this. We didn't we didn't know that to, to say that deliberately. So that's that's really weird. But uh no, so we'll we'll come on to that. Uh, where, where are we then in, in not on your Nelly to Oh they're, God, they're we're still in this episode. Oh it hasn't, hasn't they're finished in yet. The attic, <laughs> right. And they've just <laughs> sung a George Formby song in lieu of jokes. You know how when shows are released on DVD, quite often you have contractual edits, and almost always that's music which couldn't be cleared for a DVD. And you'd think that perhaps this would be one of those examples. But unfortunately, this wasn't one of those instances, and so that entire sequence is in the DVD version. We didn't get to lose those two minutes. But they finished singing their song now, and they're now looking at the watch thinking... Oh, I was looking at my watch thinking... I didn't know they actually made three and a half hour sitcoms, the LWT in 74. <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. It's only been 22 minutes. So they're basically stuck in the attic. Let's cut to the chase. They're stuck in the attic. They can't get out of the attic. And so everybody downstairs in the pub. And they don't. The end. Uh, well, yeah, pr- pretty much, yeah. But no, um, <laughs> the rest of the series is just the two of them in the attic. But no, everybody downstairs, instead of worrying and thinking, my goodness, where's Nelly got to with that fellow that we fought was a pervert about 20 minutes ago. This guy actually hit us just so he could get to Nelly. Yeah. Instead of worrying, they all just assume they must have eloped. So let's all have a celebration. Let's all drink champagne. And that's exactly what they did, as you would. And then, before we know it, it's the following morning. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's got to blow up a... And a... The, the window cleaner is wearing the most amazing shirt. Doesn't he? he has... No, hang on a minute. Uh, uh, Willie, he's got to blow up a Lilo or something, isn't he? I don't remember No, because that's right, because she's going to sleep on the couch, and she says, oh, no, you're not oh, going yeah. near me, so you've got to sleep over there, and he's got to blow I, up I think my thoughts have drifted somewhat. Right, okay. I, of course, of course. This is the most important bit of the whole thing. This is what the plot hinges on. The plot, because he says, oh, uh, kiss me or whatever, and then they embrace, and that's important, ladies and gentlemen, because we're going to come back to that later on. So then it's the next morning, and the horrible window cleaner has discovered that they're upstairs in the attic, and so they come in, and they say, oh, we can't get married. Hang on a minute, and there's, there's something I need to add here, apart from the window cleaner shirt, which pretty much disbars him from ever saying anything to the gay characters ever again about effeminacy or anything along those lines. Doesn't stop him. There's also the fact that they just use a bit of rhyming slang instead of jokes as well. He says, I just found them while I was cleaning the old Tommy Trinders. And everybody laughs. And then she says something about, is Jacobs, that's his ladders. (sighs) So they use rhyming slang and then explain the rhyming slang. It's like that's that's not a joke. Honestly, that's if not you, comedy. If you've established that he's a window cleaner, then what the hell else would he be talking about? And oh, anyway, okay, right. So uh, she comes in, and okay, dear listeners, see if you can guess why it is that they're not going to get married. She comes in and says, "Alas, yes, again, we can." I was thinking of like take cues from the plot. It's like the status quo is king in these things. That's that's fine because they're just being made 
as diversions. I don't mind the lack of that kind of thing in something that's pure entertainment. But clearly, somewhere in here, they've put a reason. I thought, oh, maybe he'll turn out to be a badden. <laughs> maybe he's stringing her along because he's trying to get the pub, or maybe he'll already be married. Maybe he'll run away with Gilbert. No. No, no, no. This Chekhov's gun was not something that was paramount on the minds of the writers of this thing. So, listeners, you, you have an image in your mind now. If you've got an idea as to why it is that uh, Nellie and Willie cannot be married, then I'm sorry to tell you that you were wrong. The answer is that when they kiss, Willie gets hiccups. Didn't look like hiccups either. It looked like a heart attack. Yeah, it does actually. Yeah. John Sharpe goes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought he's just going to drop down dead. This is going to be a tragic ending. Yes, um, it does look more serious. And of course, suspecting that he he might be having a heart attack, Hilda Baker does a decent thing and chucks a bucket of ice over his head, which is I don't actually think. Well, no, it... she explains what's wrong. It's not like she panics. She just he's was it he's allergic to kissing, a thing that doesn't exist. Yes. Can I just point out because I just I don't want any claims against this this show. So just to point out, if somebody's having a heart attack, don't pour a bucket of ice over the head. That's not the the procedure. It's not the first aid procedure. Um, the correct first aid procedure you can find somewhere, but no ice. Right. So yeah, that's actually what all of this has been for. <laughs> all all of this was felt like three weeks has been leading up to. He can't kiss me because he gets the hiccups. And and therefore, rather than, well, I'm sure that's just like a psychosomatic sort of thing. Surely you could get some yeah. help for that. You know, we'll, we'll get Paul McKinnon or somebody to hypnotise you. She just immediately dumps him. She just says, oh, fuck him. And there's some ice. Yeah, just chucks, oh, let's chuck a bucket of ice on his head. I, I, I think it was, wasn't it to try and cure him or something? <laughs> or, well, no, it wasn't. It was just kind of like, we need to end on a gag. And the writer's looking at each other, how do we write gag? What is gag? (laughs) I know, somebody chucking something at somebody, that's comedy, isn't it? You're assuming that they have to end on a gag. They don't always. See, if you'd stuck with... Do they just sometimes stop halfway through a line? (laughs) If If you'd stuck with episode one of series one, I wouldn't give away the plot, as it is. No spoilers. Spoiler free review. But uh, when they get to the rather sort of... They should have ended on a horse farting. (laughs) How do you know? I thought you said you hadn't seen it. No, when they get to the rather downbeat ending of episode one, season one... There's a downbeat ending! Yeah, you know, it is. To be be fair, it's... It, it, it's rather sort of solemn and what have you. Oh, this this is in its earlier days when it had more integrity. <laughs> so you've got this potentially solemn ending and you only have about a minute and a half left of the show and Hilda Baker says, oh, whatever, let's have a sing-song. She just runs up to the piano and they all just sort of have a, a little play in the Joanna and everybody just sings and drinks and that's it. So you don't have to go out in the gag. As long as as long as there's diversion, as long as there's something else you can do. There is something noteworthy past the ending of this, which is the produced and directed by credit. Oh yes, yes, that's right. There, you you um you did notice that you did pick up on this. What is the name of the pub again? It's the the Brown Cow. So produced and directed by Brian Izzard, and in the middle is the Brown Cow from the picture, and the camera very very shakily zooms in. And then partway through decides, <laughs> I'll zoom into 
what's that? You can even tell it doesn't even look particularly planned. It's like, and then we zoom in on the cow's head. It's like, I'll zoom in on the cow. Which end? Which end shall I zoom in on? Because let's let's face it, given the nature of the show, zooming in on the rear end of a cow would not lower the tone. <laughs> It was going so well. <laughs> now, I've actually got a special request that I want to throw out there. And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but there are some people, particularly on YouTube, who create mocks of presentation, of ITV presentation and so on. So if anybody out there who does that would like to, you could take that image of the cow and you could just sort of frame the area with the others and then you could create your own fake LWT coming up shortly, not on your Nelly, piece of continuity that lasts for about 15 minutes or so. Just have too much of the others in the shot. Uh, that'd be lovely and if you can dedicate that to us, that'd be, that'd be smashing. I don't think he will, but uh, yes. So, there's more to talk about. Didn't you say there was more to talk about? <laughs> I thought you were going to say there's more. There must be more to life than this. <laughs> just... There must be more. Oh, wait a minute. There's more episodes. Life than Nelly. After the end cap, the episode keeps going. <laughs> well, the camera goes up the cow like an endoscope. Uh, now, that was series two, episode one. We're not going to cover the rest of series two because, as, as I understand it, there are some major plot developments, and, and... there isn't enough time. <laughs> no, that's, that's How long has it taken us to talk about one episode? Well, actually, of course, you realise that this is no longer the sitcom club that we've renamed to the Nelly Club, and, and each week we're going to discuss a different episode. But early on, I mentioned the fact that they've gone through quite a few changes of character in the course of the series. In no way am I suggesting oh, yes. that Hilda Baker was difficult to work with and that people couldn't stand her and didn't want to come back for another series. But coincidentally, I did read an interview once with Wendy Richard in which she said of a comedic actress who she didn't name, she was a nightmare to work with because she hated anybody else getting a laugh. She didn't say who it was, and and no way am I putting two and two together. But anyway, season three only has four episodes. Oh, that's an unusual length, isn't it? Given that at this particular point in time, you quite often had series of, of 13 episodes. It was quite common to see shows of 13 episodes and, and just have them as four series, and that would be an entire year's worth. But um, no, series three, four episodes. Missing from the series were John Bannett, David Rayner, Azid, Ali, and Wendy Richard. So your new barmaid, Sue Nichols, and in place of Jed is... Jack Douglas, appearing as Stanley, who is Nellie's cousin. And for the benefit of people who have joined the series late, just in the same way in the opening titles it says, featuring Jack Douglas as Stanley, her cousin. So you don't don't have any dialogue that explains it in there. So the pub's already looking a bit sparse, as it were. Halfway through recording an episode of this, Hilda Baker had a fall, and I believe broke her ankle, and left the series abruptly. And I believe, actually, there was some legal action that she pursued against London Weekend as a result. So we suddenly find ourselves being cut down to four episodes, and the final episode, Hilda Baker doesn't appear at all, which requires quite a sudden change in the title sequence, for one thing, because 
the star isn't in it. So the brown cow, complete with others, actually makes more of an appearance in that particular title sequence. <laughs> now, tick off the comparisons here with Shemp. Okay, I'm going to relate this. First of all, there was one line in this which I need to go back and check because I'm not entirely sure if it was a double entendre or if it was literal. Jack Douglas appears as both Stanley and as Alf, as his, his normal sort of character with the flat cap that you quite often saw him play in the Carry On films. Uh, and they're supposed to be each other's cousin. Um, and there's one point at which Alf turns to Sue Nichols and says, Oh, what a lovely pair! Now, the first time that I saw that, and I haven't seen it a second time yet, I don't actually think that there was anything else. I don't think she was holding a pair or anything like that. I think he was literally just looking at her and saying, oh, what lovely pair. But I may be wrong. <laughs> even, even, even in the depths of the lowest common denominator ITV sitcoms, they don't just usually just gop at the barmaid's bust and say, whoa, take a look at those. There's <laughs> usually at least some sort of self-cleaning gag in there so that it can be viewed for a family audience and you don't get complaint letters to the TV Times. But anyway, I need to check that because I may be doing so a disservice. So first of all, Hilda's not there, okay? okay? But it's still her pub, so she's still referred to as being in hospital with her broken ankle. So a bit of an in-joke there, so to speak, which I'm sure she was delighted about. And then... Stanley's cousin Alf turns up, and the reason that we know it's his cousin Alf is because Stanley says, Oh, that's all I need, my cousin Alf. <sighs> the other thing about this, <laughs> thing about this as well... I just like how you sold that line. I can't imagine Jack Douglas would have done that any better. Honestly, I couldn't do Jack Douglas justice. I couldn't do his lines. No, he, he does deliver it in the same way as you might get a line crowbar into an episode of Take a Letter, Mr. Jones. As in, it's that mad Italian maid. So you're clued up now. She's Italian, she's a maid, and she's mad. Got it? Right. Go. But yes, yeah, so Alf turns up, and you rapidly That's realize... what Titty Bang Bang needed. Oh, God. Talk about lowering the bloody tone. You liked Blunder! I've got Blunder on the DVD shelf! I'm going to send you all, all the episodes as soon as we finish this recording. So you want to make sure this recording lasts as long as possible because you know what's coming at the end of it. They just, but anyway. they just, they just needed somebody to go, oh, it's that mad Italian mid, and we would have all been fine. It would have had four series instead of three. The horse has just blown off. In case you didn't hear the sound effect, ladies and gentlemen, the horse just <laughs> blew off. Got it? Now, you've never written for Mr. Ed before, have you, Mr. <laughs> They always, they always rejected my submission. That was um, the pilot. He didn't talk. <laughs> so anyway, Alf turns up, and you realise that unlike shows, say, such as Benny Hill or Mike Yarwood or Stanley Baxter, they don't actually have the budget on this show for any split-screen technology. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to get a conversation between Stan and Alf in which initially they don't appear inside the same shop. Again, link with Shemp, shot from the back. And when I say shot from the back, I do mean that literally. This is one of the... I've got, I've got to be honest about this. This is one of the strangest sequences that I've seen, and I've watched a hell of a lot of sitcoms. I mean, I've told you previously, uh, I set the alarm to watch Plaza Patrol. I mean, God almighty. So, even with that, this is one of the weirdest sequences I've seen in a sitcom. It's filmed, and... 
what Cousin Stanley has decided to do for the benefit of Cousin Alf is to demonstrate how Nelly broke her ankle by going on the back of a bike. <laughs> and funnily enough, he has a crash and breaks his ankle. Oh but the point is that they had to go outside the pub to do this. You'd think if you had to get two people being played by the same actor and you don't have split-screen technology, you'd think that the way to get them out of the pub would be to film them both from the back inside the pub going outside. That's not what happened. What happened was that it shot from outside the pub and to get round the problem, Alf walks backwards outside the pub. <laughs> you made that up. I didn't. I didn't. You're gonna get this episode later on. Is this on. one of your dreams? <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you this link later on. Please so you do. Can see it. Yes. Please do. Suddenly, I like this show. So Gilbert and Stanley get on the back of the bike, and it's just them in heavy traffic on the back of a bicycle with occasional cutaways to Alf just looking trepidatious, and you just sort of feel. This this isn't going to end well. You know, there's, there's just something wrong about this. I don't know what's happening anymore. This this probably should be on at 4 a.m. and it should have Frank Thornton appear and say something like, "Be careful of black ice on the roads" or something like that. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, that's how they get Stanley out of it, and then Alf comes along, and um, you've got Michael Shear as a policeman, and then they're basically arsing around and got nothing to do with the pub or anything at all. So then it it just sort of willers. It just sort of ends after four episodes. It just it's just, it's just we've had enough of this. We're just not going to do this anymore. Hilda's Hilda's not coming what back. A tragic end to a legacy of laughter. Exactly, exactly. And you'd think that after all those shows and all those Emmys and what have you, you'd think that they would have done a, a two-hour special and that they would have had, you know, Lex and Co. on there and Keith Michelle and probably Bob Hope <laughs> would have sent over a message via satellite or something Keith like that. Keith Michelle? Where did that come from? <laughs> I was trying to... Not saying anything trying... against the guy. But he's not normally the first name that pops into your head. I was trying to think of a famous singer, and I was trying to think of Sasha Distel, and his name wasn't coming to me, and I thought, Keith Michelle, that's close enough. (laughs) Yeah, not saying anything against you. In fact, I was cheered by, he's not mentioned enough. I really liked him in Ruddy Gore. Captain Beaky, fine record. This is quite an eclectic mix of cultural references that we've managed to get into this, conversation. This episode needs its own wiki. <laughs> Have we finished yet? Oh boy. Um, I think actually one episode you can hear Hilda Baker say that. Um, <laughs> Ryan is hot. <laughs> Or maybe it was a member of the studio audience, I don't know. But anyway, as I often ask at the end of these things, so, having seen an episode of Insert Sitcom title here, are you are you intrigued to see any more of Not On Your Nelly? Well, I, know <laughs> I the don't know about intrigued, I somehow feel obliged. Well, I know the answer's yes, because you've just requested the last episode of Series 3, which you're going to get What's this now. episode? Where... Oh no, no, it's okay. When you said that you could hear a prompt, you meant a prompt from another actor. Yes, yes. I, I didn't believe it beyond the possibility that there might be an episode where you just hear a prompt from a floor manager. No, no, it it, it's, it's not like that bit of, of Hancock on ATV that we haven't quite worked out yet whether that's a legitimate prompt or not, or whether it's actually in the script. We'll come to that in a future episode. There is a even more shoestring 
budget of what do you do when you need the same actor in two places and you haven't got split screen. Have you ever seen the case of the Muckinese Battle Horn? Do you know what? I actually haven't. Oh, you really need to see it. I know, I know. Because I think it's the most successful capturing of the goons on... Well, there's not a great deal of competition. I mean, certainly ahead of Dan among the Z-Men. And it does also have one of my favourite lines that I can tell you, because it won't spoil it at all. Okay. Seeing it as it unfolds is just as glorious as not knowing it's coming. <laughs> just Dick Emery rolling around on the floor going, oh, what a wonderful world we live in. <laughs> but there's a bit where Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan are playing policemen and they have to interview suspects. And one of these suspects is Eccles, as played by Spike Milligan. So they just have him interact with Peter Sellers and Peter Sellers address Spike Milligan's other character by just looking off to the side <laughs> and just addressing him and not expecting any answer. <laughs> but it is, it, it's one of those where it's not kind of like, oh, God, they're kind of revealing how poor, it's fine. It's just so freewheeling. They can get away with it. Did you tell me once that there was a promotional disc or something that was the goons, but Peter Sellers isn't there, so... Yeah, DCT, to do his, I think DCT his... acquired a copy, and I got a copy sometime in the 90s. I paid 50p for it, but I believe these days it actually changes hands for upwards of 51p. It's a Barclays Bank flexi-disc. I think it might be from 1979, but don't quote me on that. It's The Goons, and it's supposed to be selling bank accounts to young people and not wishing to take away from The Goons. I'm not quite sure that they were on the forefront of what was hip, in 1979, even though it was only a year after they'd released their last single. And yes, Spike Milligan is doing Blue Bottle's voice, and not very well either. It's the first thing you hear, as I recall. My copy is 5,000 miles away from where I am. And, yeah. I think that... I actually said to yourself off air, previously, that I've got... I, I can't be sure about this, but I've got a funny old feeling that the episodes of the sitcom club that we record where we are in pain are going to be the more enjoyable ones for the audience. I mean, we could sit here and, and wax lyrical about Faulty Towers for two hours, and I'm sure we, you know, hopefully we, we get some nice uh, feedback and, and people would enjoy it. But I think it's going to be more fun for people to listen to us just describing the, the pure horror of, of high and dry. And, I mean, we haven't even done Odd Man Out yet. Looking forward to doing that. You're not. <laughs> No, I said I was looking forward to it. Afterwards might be a different situation. No, you're looking forward to it because you already know that you're going to be unavailable that day that we're recording that one. You don't know, you don't know what day we're going to be recording it yet, but you do know you've got something very important to do that day. So, so if anybody's enjoyed this, do let us know, and we will ring the relevant authorities and send them round. I should just point out the whole of Not New Nelly is available from Network DVD. There are 17 episodes. Yes, that's correct. It is all available on DVD. There are many, many shows in the archive that have been lost and have been wiped. And this is not. There are many, many shows in the archive that haven't been released on DVD because they're black and white and BBC, and that stuff never seems to come out on DVD. Zed Cars and Dixon of Doc Green are being released on DVD in their colour versions. Nobody thinks of Dixon, Doc Green and Zed Cars as being 70s shows. They were on in the 70s. But who wants to see that? Everybody wants to see Brian Blessed as Fancy Smith. It doesn't take much for this 
button to be pressed and for this reaction to come from me, but I'm going to say it again. I've probably said it before on the sitcom club, but I'm going to say it again. All of Rupert Davis's Megre exists and is not on DVD. Shadow Squad, which nobody remembers, is on DVD. Knight Errant Limited. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a very good thing. But ITV have this relationship with the label network, which gives them the keys to the kingdom. So the most obscure ITV stuff is out there on DVD. The BBC does not have its own relationship with a label of that kind. Acom Video, I know they put marriage lines, didn't they? They're getting there, but they're not there yet. So if it's BBC black and white and it's not a heavy hitter like Doctor Who or Dad's Army, it's not out there. So if anybody from ITV Free or Gold or Yesterday is listening, show me agree. I'm not the Michael Gammon version. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm, fr- I'm, throwing, out, I'm throwing out over to yourself. Nothing wrong with the Michael Gammon is- version, but... Uh... Throwing it's out, out there. To yourself as drama expert. And finally. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much indeed for joining us and for holding our hand virtually through Not Your Nelly. And to be perfectly honest, I mean, I know I'm, I'm, I'm being meh about it, but as people know, I love all this kind of stuff in a way. I'm a huge sitcom fan, and I actually didn't know why it wasn't that bad. So go and get it. Go and get it. On my personal recommendation, go out and purchase Don't ever Not let your anybody Nelly. use Not On Your Nelly as an argument in there was no golden age of television because part of the difference is they were just churning this stuff out they were churning out comedy and drama and documentary by the yard it wasn't all just like consumer shows and hoarding hoarders that's actually a really good point i just had a look through i mean actually i was quite surprised how few sitcoms there were the same week as the last episode of the first series of not on your nelly there are only four sitcoms on Five if you want to stretch it to wait till your father gets home. But that week, you know, there's there's generally a comedy on a night, a drama on a night, and it's a new run. And this is only on ITV. It's a situation where we're in where people are talking about the right way. Like that's the sitcom on BBC One in a week instead of one of the four or five. Yes. And when you say about the children of like propositions and so on, I would much, much rather watch any episode of Not New Nelly than sit for the kind of it's on mainstream channels today so what the hell it's good fun it's not challenging <laughs> probably was for, for many members of the cast but, but that's another matter entirely anyway Ocho thank you very much indeed for your suffering this week you're welcome and join us again next time on the sitcom club <laughs>